I mean, you know, you think about it, you're living in a war zone and you're getting messages from editors like, give me your poems, give me your poems. I haven't talked to her specifically about this, but I can imagine how odd it must be, you know, running to the cellar when the air raid sirens go off. And then in the cellar, you've got 50 messages from people you've never heard of in languages you don't speak asking you for your work. I'm Lori Messing-McGarry. You just heard poet and translator Catherine Young, who is translating and shepherding the publication of poets living in Ukraine and Russia who are struggling to survive the war in Ukraine. Real Fiction Radio Program is a production of Real Fiction Media Group and airs on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. On Real Fiction, I speak with novelists, journalists, poets, and changemakers to discuss the real and imaginary forces that fuel stories, reportage, and social impact. All Real Fiction conversations are available wherever you get your podcasts and on realfictionradio.com. The war in Ukraine has galvanized support across the world for writers and poets from Ukraine and Russia who risk their lives to speak out. With renewed interest in poetry from this conflict zone, I am delighted to welcome back to the Real Fiction program, Catherine Young. Catherine is a poet, a translator of poetry from the Russian language, author and editor of several books of poetry, Her translations of poetry from Russian have won international awards. From 2016 to 2018, she served as the inaugural Poet Laureate for Arlington, Virginia. And in our 2020 discussion, we talked about her book, Written in Arlington, which was a compilation of established, nationally known page poets, spoken word artists, and students just beginning to write and perform. Today, we're going to focus on something a little different. Uh, We'll talk about some of the poets from Russia and Ukraine. Uh, Catherine has been so uh, involved in this world as as her in her career as a translator. And, um, you know, this is a place where words are censored. And maybe we can talk a bit today about what does poetry from Russia and Ukraine reveal about despair, hope, and really the essence of humanity. So I'd like to to say welcome back to Real Fiction, Catherine. Thank you so much, Lori. I'm so happy to be here. You're very busy now. Um, there's a renewed interest, as I mentioned, in poetry from Russia and Ukraine. In fact, some of the uh, literary journals are racing to publish some poets that maybe we haven't heard enough from. But before we get to that, I'd like to highlight that you you live in Arlington, Virginia, and you've been on this program before, but you have also lived and you've worked in Russia and you translate Russian poetry. And I wonder if you can just share what led you to learn Russian with such fluency and nuance that you can make translation of poetry possible. So I'll say also that I have lived in Kiev, Ukraine. So I have ties in both of these nations, although I don't speak Ukrainian because at the time when I lived there, uh, everybody was pretty much forced to speak Russian. Um, I would say uh, in general, and to your question, um, I'm a poet first. I've always been a poet first. I started writing poetry, my mother tells me, when I was three. 
So um, that's a, a language in and of its own. And, and for me, it's almost uh, separate from any specific language. And, and um, even though I uh, went away from poetry for a little while earlier in my career and became a quote unquote Soviet studies specialist, um, what I found uh, when I was living in Russia uh, in the 1990s, was that I was hearing English very, very differently because I was in a Russian-speaking environment. Mm. And that began to make my ears go, you know, wow again, and uh, started writing myself again much more seriously. But it wasn't, it wasn't to do with either language specifically. It was more just sound and, and having, you know, sounds that I had learned as a student of Russian to hear them, to, 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 you know, to play with them in context, that, that was huge. As far as translating poetry and as there's something special about that, I would say I do know very good translators of Russian poetry who are not poets themselves, but not very many of them. I, I don't think, honestly, mm. it matters that much if you speak a language, so long as you have access to either excellent dictionaries or, or native speakers who can help you. It seems to me in translating poetry that it's much more essential to be a poet or at least have a very good feel for poetic language in whatever language you're translating into, in my case, English. Let me ask you a bit more about that, because I've, I've had some translators of uh, fiction on the program. But when it comes to poetry, and we talked about this a, a bit uh, during your your first visit to the program, that poetry is, as a definition, it's kind of a literary work in which a special intensity is given to the expression of feelings and ideas by the use of distinctive style and rhythm. So when I think about translating poetry and how every word is is considered in a poem, you you sort of have to have that sensibility to get the rhythm and the cadence. Right. So it is a different process, I think, from traditional fiction. Do, do you see it that way? Well, I've also translated fiction as well as memoir. Um, and I think it honestly, it depends on the original writer. I mean, there are some writers of fiction who are, who write so beautifully that it's it's like writing or reading mm. poetry and, and trying to work with poetry. Um, it, it just really depends on the writer. But in terms of specifically Russian and English as, as languages in which one is producing poetry, they're extraordinarily difficult, different grammatically. And it's not really possible, I don't believe, although other people will dispute this, that you can get a word-for-word -word translation from Russian into an English poem. You have to know, and furthermore, I should say also that while things have been different in the last 50, 20 or 30 years, there's been much more free verse in Russian poetry. In general, it's a very traditional formal poetry with a lot more rhyme than American poets and American mm. poetry audiences are, are comfortable with these days. It's a little bit different in Great Britain where they tend to, to be a little more formal in their writing. But for us as listeners and as practitioners of American poetry, um, we have to use different tools than the Russians. For example, if Russians use pure rhyme, we're probably not going to do that in our English translation because English readers or American readers of poetry tend to equate pure rhyme with you know nursery rhymes, Dr. Seuss. Um, so we have to use other tricks to get music into the language. And be, precisely because Russian is so different from English grammatically, I feel like um, it's, it's okay for me 
for example, to get a rhyming poem in Russian that's in uh, uh, um, a specific meter, it's okay for me to choose a different meter in English. It's okay for me to rhyme the say the second and, and fourth lines and not the first and, first and third lines. And you know, so I I am looking for what is for me accessible to American readers that brings music into the writing, but that doesn't t- try to mimic the writing in the original language. Um, I think there are languages that are closer to English where it's maybe easier to to be closer and say your rhyme scheme or whatever to the original but for russian it's so different that that i don't think you can i don't think you can try to just you know tweak it a little bit and make it work in english you have to re-envision the whole poem as a poem as if it were originating in english this is opening my eyes to aspects of poetry that i really just haven't considered much so let's talk about the poet Ia Kiva. Do I have I pronounced that correctly? Yes. Ia is uh, someone I want you to tell us about. She's, I believe, she, is she living in Ukraine? She is in Ukraine. Yes, she is. She she's a born and bred in Donetsk, which is in the far eastern part of Ukraine, and it was one of the cities that was attacked by Russian-backed separatists in 2014. Uh, Ia had been ex- outspoken about her support for independent Ukraine, and she was forced to flee. Um, and she spent a lot of the last few years more or less as an internal uh, war refugee um, in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. Okay. Uh, so Ia, as I was re- preparing for our conversation, she writes in both Russian and Ukrainian. And thanks to you, some of uh, Ia's poems have appeared in English just very recently, including uh, a literary journal, The White Review, which is a I believe, based in England, you translated uh, some of these poems from her. I believe there were four poems. And so I'd like to have you tell us about the process of working with Ia and perhaps to read one of her poems, and then we can discuss it. Sure. Um, So I've been working with Ia since 2016. Um, She is an extraordinarily gifted poet. Um, war changed, of course, her life, but it also changed her poetry. Before the war, she was a pretty much a standard formal poet with you know, rhymes and meters and all that sort of thing. And, um, and then this cataclysm occurred in her life and um, she began writing completely differently and stripping down poetry as far as she could, you know, just, just to get at the sort of the nubs of thoughts and feelings. And she threw out all of the you know, the fancy stuff that she'd been doing before that. Um, in the the first poems that I translated from her collection, which came out in Russian in 2018, I believe, 2017, 2018, um, sort of show that process happening to her work. Um, and the, the, some of the poems can be um, almost like they're ellipses in the poems. You know, they're, um, she doesn't have uh, much, she doesn't use much punctuation, um, and she will just kind of put a thought out there and leave it for you to sketch in, you know, sort of the background for the thought. She's since moved to some different kinds of writing, and her new work is is also fascinating in a different direction. Donbass is in uh, eastern Ukraine. Uh, she has a, a poem titled People of Donbass. Um, perhaps from your voice, we can listen to it and then discuss it. Okay. Let me tell you just a little bit about the poem. It's called, it's actually called Ilya, which is a man's name. And it's told in the voice of Ilya. And the cycle that it belongs to is, this is her newest work. It's a part of a cycle of poems called People of Donbass. And what she wanted to do was, and what she did was she listened to social, she read social media, she uh, read newspaper articles, she listened to, you know, to, to stories about 
people just like her from the Donbass region uh, who were suffering and had been suffering since since uh, 2014. And she sort of used that material as in a collage or document, documentary, documentary fashion to create these poems in the voices of real people telling the stories of real people sort of filtering oh. through her poetic gaze. So this is in the voice of Ilya, one of the people of Donbass. Why did you orchestrate a war at home and run away to more normal cities. The neighbors' sticky-fingered spoons clap their hands and pull hair after hair from my head. You're guilty of everything. And I think, what if they come to kill me while I'm lying naked in the boat of this summer without water, electricity, any kind of connection? No one will know what she died of standing in the kitchen and falling backwards like sugar in a cup of paper wrath. And the uproarious sea of love throbbing in my temples like the pocket flashlight of dreams with which I fumble along walls of guilt. Some people live in it and they call my life a home as if it were alive. The step thorn of the sun doesn't let me see myself, but I'm there somewhere. In the ash heap of smoldering photos, I kiss some sky before it starts to burn. Hmm. Wow, that's um, remarkably vivid and speaks to the images that we're seeing every day on television. And you mentioned that she was using some social media posts for the rhythm and the language. And I know that you uh, had a conversation with Ia uh, as part of a large uh, international Zoom conference with authors and, and poets. How, did, how does she look back on a poem like this um, with what's happening today? Has she, what were her reflections? I'm really curious. Well, that was a reading of, of some poems. We didn't read this poem, um, but it was reading in support of Ukraine. So this was very mm -hmm. recently, uh, Tuesday a week ago. Um, we didn't discuss this poem, but but I have been in contact with her a lot um, about this cycle of poems. Um, and oddly enough, uh, her response was, well, these poems are totally outdated now um, because, mm. because this this thing, what, what she was trying to create was for, for the issue that, that she has dealt with and that I have dealt with in trying to get her poetry out in the world is people in the West, and not just people in the West, people within Ukraine who themselves were not on the far, firing line, who were far away in the West of Ukraine, for example, simply couldn't seem to wrap their heads around the fact that there were Russians in their country. And... Um, and that was part of the horror of what has happened these last two weeks, because the night before the Russians showed up, you know, people in Kiev were out drinking and doing the things that we all do in cities, going to cafes, whatever. Nobody believed the Russians would come in. I'm not sure. And I think a lot of Russians didn't believe they would come in, um, even when we saw pictures of their tanks massing on the borders. So it was an unusual in, in an unusual position. She was a war refugee in her own country, surrounded by people who hadn't had her experience of the war. And almost didn't believe there was a war going on because it wasn't part of their everyday lives. That 
disconnect that she felt with her own, you know, the people of her citizens of her own country sort of has fueled a lot of her writing these past eight years. And of course, that's magnified when, when we try to, prior to two weeks ago, when I would try to get her poems about war, which has been part of her life since 2014, into the, you know, into publications here in what we used to call the West, um, because editors don't know anything about Eastern Ukraine, don't know anything about the events there, you know, and, and in the same way that Ukrainians didn't want to think about it. People in, in, you know, Seattle or Chicago or New York, who cared about what was going on in Eastern Ukraine? So finding a home for these poems up until about two weeks ago was really, really hard. Um, and, and now, of course, this set of poems is the whole country of Ukraine. But it's hard for her to see that because they were specifically intended to speak to Ukrainians about the fact that they were not paying attention to what was going on in their own country. What was her reaction when she learned that these poems would be published in a prestigious literary magazine? Well, it's an interesting thing. I mean, uh, is um, I mean, I think all writers are, are aware of where they're published, and um, it's been frustrating for her that I haven't been able to place a lot of these poems, or hadn't been for the last two weeks. But then, immediately, the moment the bombs started falling, right, all of a sudden she was being bombarded by people from outside Ukraine. You know, do you have poems? Do you have poems? Do you have poems? Can I translate them? Um, and you know, she's got. People from all, I mean, she's, she has contacts anyway in Germany and, and Poland and, you know, um, and she's had publications. I mean, I've published her work before, but just not that much of it. Uh, but suddenly everybody wants poems on these, on the war. I mean, I have gotten solicitations from, from editors saying, you know, do you have any, can you share them with us? You know, so suddenly what was of no interest to people two weeks ago is red hot interest to them now. Um, and I think that says something, and I'm not sure it's something very flattering about us as consumers of art. But in any case, um, the fact is there is, a, there is a sudden demand for her and it's hard. I mean, you know, you think about it, you're living in a war zone and you're getting messages from editors like, give me your poems, give me your poems. I haven't talked to her specifically about this, but I can imagine how odd it must be, you know, running to the cellar when the air raid sirens go off. And then in the cellar, you've got 50 messages from people you've never heard of in languages you don't speak asking you for your work. Indeed. Um, I find her poems really compelling. I wonder if we can read one more. Um, I, I had asked you about a poem titled The Year of Ukraine, and I believe the year of Ukraine will live in our minds for many years. Would you read that poem and then tell us what you think about it? So this poem is called The Year of Ukraine, and it was written uh, in 2014, and it refers to events and people um, from that time. 2014, of course, was the year of um, Russia's invasion in, in, in eastern Ukraine and capture of Crimea, the Crimean Peninsula, which Ukrainians believe is part of their, their land. It was a, a, a moment of uprising in Kiev itself, and what, uh, what led to the, to the uh, Russian invasions or incursions was the public rejection of a Russian-backed presidential candidate who who was in office and was chased out of the country, basically. And this moment, this moment of 2014 was for many Ukrainians sort of the birth of their country, even though 
Ukraine had been a separate nation since the breakup of the Soviet Union in uh, 1991. That's in Ukraine's most recent incarnation. Uh, it's been around for centuries, obviously, in one form or another, but it's been more or less dismembered. Yes. Um, so this poem is is about sort of the awakening and the, the sense of uh, discovering that one belongs to a crowd of people who are like-minded. Um, and I think that was a surprise for a lot of people in Ukraine. It's it, in, in the post-Soviet world, um, it was really searching for an identity. It has a lot of different ethnicities, a lot of different religions. Um, and there's a stark divide between East and West in Ukraine. And trying to meld the nation out of all of that, um, you know, I think there's been nothing more effective, paradoxically, in creating the U- Ukrainian sense of nationhood and patriotism and pride than the actions of Putin and Russia. So the year of Ukraine. See here. We got what we wanted. Now Sirhi Nagoyan's graffiti on the wall. In the square across the way, kids play at war. In Donbass, the adults are also at play. A square looms on Google Maps, another square. It's a house, it's a boy with a rifle in his hands. If they tell him to shoot, he surely will shoot. F your mother, our common motherland. At the store, folks load whole sacks with macaroni and afterwards bury the boxes somewhere. What's that? What crawls down that distant slope? It's your coffin carried by security troops. We were here, you'll say. No, we haven't been here. Someone else was killed by sniper fire here and snow nailed those who came after to earth. The Lord's summer has gone. It wasn't enough. I think that what you said, Catherine, about the disconnect between what's happening and what's been happening in the east of Ukraine and the west of Ukraine is, I, I, I still don't think we understand um, the perhaps the unifying effect that this invasion has had for the country. It's, it's as if she wrote this yesterday but she didn't. She wrote it in 2014. Um, as, she's, as she's in Ukraine now, is, is she writing or is she just trying to get through uh, day by day? Do you know how she's doing? I do. I, we're in touch. I don't want to say too much about that because I, I'm not sure, you know, um, I'm not sure who's, how safe it is to, to be very specific about where she is or what she's doing. But I can tell you that, I, you know, if, if you, I read her Facebook posts, which are, which are open to everybody, um, she is, um, among other things, coordinating, you know, calls for this village needs a doctor. Can anybody get there? This person needs to get to, um, to pick up medicine. Can anybody give this person a ride? Um, this person is headed for the border. Is there anybody available to accompany them? So, so um, she's working in that way and um, just like everybody, just trying to stay alive, right? And, and yes. also trying to figure out what is, what is my, I think this is true for everybody, t- to figure out what is my individual responsibility? Where does my loyalty lie? Where can I, you know, where, where do I want to be if I'm staring at death? This is such an isolating experience. Uh, just before I got on this uh, call with you, um, I'm seeing that the Russian government may uh, ban yet another social media platform. They're looking to um, shut down Instagram um, as an extremist 
uh, organization. And so that's yet another platform that will be removed from those in Russia who are struggling to watch the news and struggling to spread messages about what's happening in Ukraine. Now, we talked about this, Catherine, you have spent uh, your career translating Russian poems. Are you finding that you're able to communicate much uh, easier with, with those Russian speakers that are physically in Ukraine? Have you been completely closed off from your contacts in, in Russia? No, I haven't, but I haven't been in particularly close contact with most people. Um, I have one writer who very courageously spoke out against the war and had to flee Russia. Um, and I've been in closest contact with her. Um, uh, you know, yeah. it's not a particularly safe time for Russians to be in co close contact with Americans. Um, I know Americans who have fled um, for their own safety, leaving behind family members um, in Russia. It's, it's an extraordinarily dangerous time. Um, for Americans there, and I think for Russians who are closely associated with Americans. And frankly, um, there are some of my writers, uh, I am not sure how they feel about this war. Um, and that is a, I'm not sure I want to know, honestly. It's a very difficult time. And then they're in a terrible position. You know, if they don't fully support this war, and I do know people who do fully support this war, they, there is nothing they can do about it except remain silent and hope to get through it. Which, of course, is incredibly frustrating for those of us who are free to denounce what what we see happening there. No, I think it's it's very important to to mention that because uh, using the word war in Russia can come with a prison sentence. Yes, and we we are learning that uh, more and more day by day. So it is by having you on the program today that I hope we can just shed a little bit more light what it's like for these poets and writers who are risking their lives to speak out. Catherine Young, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on Real Fiction today to shed some light on this. Um, you're, you're very busy these days, and uh, I, I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much, Laurie. It was a great pleasure to be here. You've been listening to Real Fiction. I'm Laurie Messing-McGarry. Real Fiction Radio is a production of Real Fiction Media Group. All Real Fiction conversations are available wherever you get your podcasts and on realfictionradio.com, where you can learn more about Catherine Young, the poems she has been translating, as well as a list of credible places to contribute to help Ukraine and Ukrainian refugees. Thanks for listening.